Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you guys with us here today. For me, that bumper video is a checklist of how well I'm doing so far on summer things. And I think I'm about 60% through the items on that list. We got a little bit more to go, but it's only August. And, and so I'm going to hold on to this warm weather for every second that it's got left. We got like three more weeks and then it'll be 40 degrees outside again. And so let's get ready. Some people are like ready for it. Like some of y'all got like the pumpkin pumpkin spice latte on order already at Starbucks. You just got to pick it up. And then some of you are just like, please don't let the summer ever end. That's me. I'm in that camp. And so welcome. If this is your first time with us, man, we're so glad that you're here. Um, I I just need you to know that the Gathering Church is a family. And so uh, we're a big, crazy, dysfunctional, open, welcoming family. We want you here. Um, This is a place you can belong before you can believe. This is a place you can find the kind of community you've been looking for your whole life. And so you're in the right place. We're glad you're here today. We're fixated on taking people through a spiritual journey. We believe every person is on a spiritual journey, and we want to help walk the right one. And so we want people to know God find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And and, and that's what we believe in here at The Gathering. And so right now we are uh, just finishing week one, entering week two of our 21 days of prayer. And so today is day eight of 21 days of prayer. And what an incredible season it has already been. I I can already feel a swell coming. I can feel a lifting. I can feel in our church, in our city, in my life, in my family that God is, 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 is lifting right now. And so um, if you weren't here last week or you're new to us, uh, this, is, this is an initiative that we, we're, we're starting now, but we'll be doing it every August and January, 21 days of, an, of unified, focused prayer together as a family. And so what it looks like Monday through Friday is we have a live broadcast on Facebook Live and Instagram Live where you can join us at 6.30 a.m. for a prompting and then an opening prayer. And then we're committed to being together praying in that hour over what God is leading us to pray on in that time. And so uh, if, uh, if that's not a time that you're able to join us for prayer, then we keep those online for 24 hours. And so on either of our accounts, you can still watch them for 24 hours after the broadcast and, and join us in praying over um, this church, this city, the freedom that we need in our own lives. You know, we just believe that uh, in August, we kind of tend to hit a bit of a slump. I was talking to one of our friends about this the other night, and Rail and I were talking to her about this season of prayer, and it was day five, and she was like, it's day five. I already feel like things are changing for me. I already feel like my perspective's changing. I feel like a swell in my relationship with God. I feel like areas where I was starting to get tired, I'm having energy again, and it's day five. Like It's just started, and, and that's what we want. That's our hope. That's our, our, our desire for this season and what we feel God has called us to as a church. And so if you haven't joined us yet in 21 Days of Prayer, welcome. Be a part of it. Join in. You know, Commit to it. Say, God, I'm, I'm looking for revelation in this season. I'm looking for a breakthrough in this season. God, I need a next step in this season. God, I just want to worship in this season. Commit to it and join us in it. This Yesterday, we had our first Saturday morning 
prayer service. We're doing a Saturday morning prayer service. We did it yesterday. We'll do it this upcoming Saturday and then the following Saturday after that. Every Saturday during 21 days of prayer. And i got to let you know, church, that if, if you weren't able to join us, you're missing a move of God. you got to come. you got to be there. 9 a.m. It's at Seacoast Church in South Asheville in the Biltmore Village area on Sweeten Creek Road. Um, we'll post the address and directions online this week. If you follow us, it's at Gather Asheville. You'll get all the info you need. And so be there for this next one. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Um, and so uh, that's 21 days of prayer. And so today, my, my message, I was thinking through being in this 21 days of prayer season. And, uh, and so I've got something I want to share with you that's related to that. Um, it comes from a book I once read uh, a year ago, I think, um, by a pastor named John Mark Comer. He's one of my favorite pastors and authors, only because his name is John Mark. He's in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it, he wrote a book called God Has a Name. And so um, if you hear the message this morning and it sparks something in you and you want to know more, I'd encourage you to read that book. But uh, first, I got to tell you a sea story. And so uh, I was in the Coast Guard for a few years. And if you've ever met a sailor, all sailors have sea stories. And some of them are even true. And so let, let me share one with you this morning. I was uh, 21, 20 years old at the time. Uh, I was on the Coast Guard Cutter Venturous. Uh, was a 210-foot medium endurance patrol cutter. And so we would go out on three-month patrols in the Caribbean was our area. It was a very difficult. We made a lot of sacrifices for our country in ports like Bermuda and Bahamas and come on, pretty mamas and <laughs> Key Largo, Montego, Coast Guard, why don't we go? Um, anyways, uh, and, and so I was in the Caribbean. We were off the coast of Nicaragua looking for bad guys. So our zone was that we would look for smugglers. That was our whole mission um, the whole time that we were out. And so we're looking for smugglers. And so I, uh, one morning, heard the bad guy response bill go off. This means they've spotted bad guys. That's not what they called it, but that is what I called it the whole time. Bad guys. And so I was just living like an eight-year-old's dream the whole time I was on the boat. And, uh, and, so, and so what happened was they saw a boat cutting across the front of our boat going really fast, and they called them on the radio, and they didn't answer. And so the Coast Guard, if they call you on the radio and you don't answer, you need to know they're coming for you because we just assume you must be a bad guy if you're not returning our calls. I assume the same thing when people don't return my calls. And so the Coast Guard sets the bad guy response boat, Bill. And, and so what that means is that our boarding team who's on duty that day, which is four guys, it was me, two other boarding team members, and then a boarding officer who was a junior officer right out of the academy, um, and, uh, and a young guy, you know, kind of a college grad type guy, real gung-ho. And uh, we all got all suited up, put on our bulletproof vests and helmets and cool guy stuff, you know, paint underneath our eyes like this, you know, and we got our weapons issued to us and we got in this little orange boat and they dropped it over the side of the ship and we took off as fast as we could after these bad guys. And we're actually through our, we got our blue lights going because, you know, it's like that's in America, that's what we do to tell people to stop and put on blue lights. And, and, then we, and then we had music playing through our loudspeakers. We did this every time. It's a true story. Um, this time the music was the Knight Rider theme song. Just imagine four guys with bad mustaches coming after you to a, to a David Hasselhoff TV show 
theme song music. It was intimidating, I'm telling you. And so we come up along these bad guys, and they're like zooming, and we're coming up, and we zoom up right next to them. And then, and then our boarding officer gets on the loudspeaker, and he's like, United States Coast Guard, you know, you are hereby ordered to stop. And if you don't stop, we will shoot. And we see, we now are right next to these guys, and we suddenly notice there's about eight of them. They're wearing camo, and every single one of them has an AK-47 automatic rifle. Now, we had on board, weapons-wise, one uh, M16 automatic rifle, so one, uh, one shotgun and two pistols. If you don't know about guns very much, they had bigger ones and a lot more of them. <laughs> the, the odds were not ever in our favor. And so, and so we're, they slow down and, and all of a sudden they turn and they point all of those guns at us and begin shouting at us in Spanish. We forgot to bring a translator. And so we're shouting at them in English. They're shouting at us in Spanish. They're pointing all of their guns at us. We're pointing all our guns at them. And then all of a sudden, our boarding officer, the, the LT, he gets real nervous, drops his gun, puts his hands up like this. The United States Coast Guard surrenders at this point, you know, and so now I'm still pointing my gun and shouting at him. These guys are shouting at them, and they're shouting at us, and it's very tense. Everybody, it's about to, we're all about to go down in a blaze of glory and confusion, and all of a sudden, the radio goes off. Stand down, stand down, stand down. You are engaged with the Nicaraguan Navy. They have been sent to support us. That was a difficult one to explain at headquarters. Everybody was fine. They dropped their guns. We were like, sorry about that. I had a Snickers in my snack pack, and I gave it to one of the guys, and we laughed about it. And it was fine. That's a true story. Actually, my code name, you know, you get code names in the military, in, at least in this, in this realm of military. Mine was Snacks, because I always had a bunch of snacks on me. A little fact about me. Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the point of that story. Um, Without clarity around identity, it's impossible to know somebody's intentions. Without clarity around who somebody really is, you're, more, you're likely to make the wrong assumptions about their character. And if you make the wrong assumptions about somebody's character, you're likely to approach them with the wrong posture. And here's what I think. I think that many of us have the wrong understanding of who God is. Or we just don't know. We, ha we don't have a lot of clarity around the nature and the character and the personality of God. And since we don't have a lot of information, we often approach Him with the wrong posture. Many times it's determined by how you grew up. If you grew up in the high church, in the, in the Catholic church, or, or, uh, or another liturgical high church, maybe you picture God as unapproachable. And, and dogmatic and, and intimidating. Maybe if you grew up in the Pentecostal or charismatic world, you picture God as kind of chaotic and exclusive. If you grew up in, in, the, in the Southern Baptist world, I almost didn't want to say it out loud. That's how I grew up. If you grew up in the Southern Baptist world, and sometimes maybe you picture God as legalistic and traditional and structured. If you didn't grow up in church, maybe you have this image of God as this is this old dude with a long white beard sitting on a chair made out of clouds. That's definitely not right. And depending on how you view God is going to depend, is going to determine how you approach God. And so as we're in this season of prayer, 21 days 
of prayer, I think it's very important that we take a moment to discuss the nature and the character and the personality of God so that each morning when we approach his throne, we know who we approach so that we know how we should approach. And so um, I think many times we get confused about who God is and, and whether or not we even could know him. In fact, sometimes we, maybe you know this passage and it's deterred you. It's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God says this. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There are things about God that we will never and can never understand. There are aspects to the character of God that are so different from the way you and I think that it will always be difficult for us to bridge that gap. But I do not think that because there is such a difference in our character that we can't ask the right questions and that we shouldn't begin to try to understand who God is. This is something Moses did often. In the Bible, there's a man named Moses who, um, he's actually responsible for writing the first five books of your Bible. And Moses was a very close uh, with God. In fact, I would say, aside from Jesus, the closest of any other person in the Bible. The Bible says that Moses and God spoke face to face like one speaks to a friend. But even Moses was always asking questions about God, about who he is, and, and what he is like. He asked God to show him his glory, to give him glimpses of him. Even in the very beginning of their relationship, in Exodus chapter um, 3, when Moses is being called by God, Moses uh, was, was called by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery. They were in slavery to the Egyptians for hundreds of years, but God had a promise on them. And God doesn't go back on his promise. And so his heart and his desire was to free them from slavery. And Moses was the man he chose to do it. From the moment he was born and created everything about his life, God shaped him and prepared him to do this purpose that God had in mind for him. And in Exodus chapter 3, he's calling Moses to that purpose. And Moses says, yeah, but, but what, what, what if they ask me your name? I don't know your name. How, how am I supposed to get these guys to believe me? And follow me, God, if I don't know your name. And he was making a good point. Because up to this moment in the history of God and man, nobody knew the name of God. In fact, Abraham was kind of the first guy that God started his journey to Jesus with. This, this, this beginning of a relationship between God and man started with Abraham. And Abraham only knew God by a title, El Shaddai which means the God Almighty. El was the name for all the little g gods in the land where Abraham lived. And Shaddai meant above all those things. And so that's all he knew about God, was that he was the God, that he was the God above all the other gods, that he was the Almighty, that he was the Creator. That was all he knew and all anyone knew until the moment Moses says, but what's your name? And God decides to reveal this piece of information to him. You know, a name is important. Names matter. Names are special, even in this culture especially. They believed that your name spoke to who you would be and to who you are. Abraham, in the beginning of his relationship with God, his name was Abram, which just means father. 
But God changed it to Abraham, which means father of many nations, because God said, I'm going I'm to make many nations through you. There was, a, there was a, a grandson of Abraham's name, Jacob. His name meant liar, and that's who he was. He deceived his father in order to steal the birthright of their family. And God changed his name to Israel, which means he who struggles with God, because that was Jacob's story. In fact, I think names are so important. I, my daughter, Eleanor, her, her name means shining one or bright one. And if you need to know anything about Eleanor, just yesterday we were hiking up Max Patch and she's wearing a ballerina outfit, hiking boots, knee-high socks, playing in the mud and carrying around binoculars because she was looking for teeny tiny friendly bears. She is a bright, shining one. We just named our, our youngest daughter Dagny. Dagny means a new day. And every morning, every morning when we go in to wake her up, she has the brightest smile that you have ever seen on her face to remind us today is a new day. See, I think names matter. I think they're important. I think they speak to character. And the way that God designed naming, that was it. And so what his name is genuinely matters to us because his name will reveal to us his character, who he is now, who he will be later. So Moses says to him, what is your name? And God answers, I am who I am, and this is what you are to say to the Israelites. This is Exodus 3.14. I am who I am, and this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, in our language, this sounds like a cryptic answer. Like It's like, oh, it's God being God again. He's always so cryptic, but that's not what's happening here. In the original language of the conversation, this was a very clear declaration of a name. God was saying, my name is Yahweh, the Hebrew word meaning I am. Yahweh is his name. Yahweh is his name. And Moses receives it for the first time. First thing I want us to learn this morning is God's name, and it's Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God. In Exodus chapter 34, we jump forward to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is the most, third most important passage in all the Bible, I believe. And I believe that because I think it's the most important in all the Old Testament. And this is also what the Jewish people believe. They believe this and so much that this verse and, and what it says is so common to them. It's like our John 3.16, like in Christianity what John 3.16 is. So is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. They have a name for it. They, they've, they've labeled this passage. This is the most quoted passage of Scripture in the Bible, by the Bible. Over 640 times references to this passage are made by the writers of the Bible. This is God's declaration of who He is and what He is. His name is Yahweh, and here's what it means. Yahweh means I am. And I am, in the, in the way that this language would be interpreted, this, this statement of I am doesn't just mean that I am as though here I am, I exist, I am. No, what it means is what I am, I will be. What I am, I will be. Consistency. That's what this name means. Always the same. Never changing. Whatever he is, whatever his character communicates, 
He is always. He will never change. He does not waver. What I am, I will be. That is the meaning of God's name, and it describes him perfectly. Consistency. I am not consistent. My character is not consistent. My personality traits are not consistent. I am nice 75% of the time. I am a nice person. You could describe me as nice. 25% of the time, I am not a nice person. I am a hungry person, you know, and it's very different. I am a patient guy. 85% of the time, I would say I'm a naturally patient person. I'm the guy who sits in traffic and goes, meh, this isn't so bad. You know, like that's me. But 15% of the time, I am the most impatient person you will ever meet in your entire life. I'm just telling you that the truth about humanity and who we are is that we are always shifting and changing based on the amount of food in our bellies, based on the circumstances we are in, based on who spoke to us that morning. It changes and shifts. But God says, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, where we are inconsistent and wavering and changing, God is always the same. This is hard for us to understand because we've never been able to experience it. Even the best relationships in our life, the people of greatest influence, we have seen them at their best and we have seen them at their worst. And it's like two different people. I think I'm a pretty good dad, but my daughter is going to grow up with two very different versions of me. She's going to remember, man, there were times when my dad did this thing that was not great. And she's going to go to counseling for it, you know. That's parenthood. (laughs) But that's not the way it is with God. And as he communicates his name to Moses, he says, here's what I want my people to know about me. That who I am, I will be. When I said to Abraham, I will give you this land that you are in, I will make you a great nation, I mean it still to the slaves who are in Egypt, and that is why I am sending you, Moses, because who I am, I will be. So Moses asked God for more. He says, God, if that's who you are and and you will be, then what are you? And what will you be? Describe yourself to me. Let me see your glory. God, I'm I'm not not satisfied. I want to see you. And God says in Exodus 34, um, verses 6 and 7, he says, I will allow my glory to pass before you, and then I I I will declare my name out loud for you to hear who I am. And this is the passage that changes and shapes the relationship that humanity has with God. And so it says in verse 6, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. And so here's, if you have a Hebrew Bible, which you might this morning, um, it says Yahweh, Yahweh. None of you have a Hebrew Bible. I'm teasing. Uh, it says Yahweh, Yahweh. I don't own one, I don't think. I have, a, I have the internet. Yahweh, Yahweh. Um, I do own one in case that made you worried. Yahweh, Yahweh is what it says in the Hebrew Bible. It says the Lord, the Lord. And that it, I'm going to give you a little bit of history just so you know why when you see the Lord, you should be seeing Yahweh. It's because around 400 BC, the Pharisees began to rise to power in the Jewish church. And what the Pharisees did to try and keep people protected was create extra rules and laws around the ones that God had given them to keep them from making mistakes again. It was a good heart, but legalism, even with a good heart, is still legalism. And so when they did this, they were so worried about the Israelites breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. 
The Lord does have a name. His name is Yahweh. We don't want to use it in vain. So they went even into the Torah, their Bible, and they removed the things that said Yahweh and replaced them with Adonai. Adonai is a title, not a name. It means the Lord. And when we started translating Bibles into English, there weren't as many ancient texts. So we had 400 BC and later texts to translate, and they all said Adonai, and so we began to translate them to the Lord. And in tradition, it continues to this day. But what that passage really said was, I am, I am. Yahweh, Yahweh. He declares his name to Moses. And now, if that's, what he, if, if that's his name, then what is he? What is he consistently and constantly? Two is this, the compassionate and gracious God. The compassionate and gracious God. A lot of times, if we're going to start describing God, um, somebody says, describe God to me, we'd begin with what we call the omnis. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all the places all the time. That's what they teach you if you grow up in church. That's what a lot of theologians would begin with. But that's not how God begins describing himself. See, God says, the very first thing that I want you to know about me is that I am compassionate. I am gracious. Our God is so filled with compassion and grace that it is the very first thing that describes him and that it doesn't describe him just then or just at certain moments. What I am, I will be. He is always compassionate and he is always gracious. Every single time. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This means that when you are in seasons where you feel like God has left you, he has not. This means because he is abounding in faithfulness. This means that when you are in a season and you feel like God's anger is burning against you, it is not because he is slow to anger and he is compassionate and gracious God. This means that when you are in seasons where you feel God must be so disappointed in you that he wouldn't want anything to do with you, you are wrong because who he is, he will be, and he is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is who God is. Number three is God is just. And this is an important one. I think this is the most important one, but it might freak you out when I read it, so don't tune out until I'm finished here, okay? Here's what it says. <laughs> well, this is great. Um, a child started crying at this part last, last service, and so um, God is just. He, sa- he says, it says, um, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation here is the character and the nature of god god is compassionate he's merciful he's gracious he's good he's so filled with love that it is abounding and god is just god has a need for justice. It is a part of his very character. Now, in our culture, I think this is the part of his description of himself that makes us recoil a little bit. Why is he saying that? I don't know if I want a just God. It makes us think about angry preachers with a lot of sweat on their foreheads, pounding on pulpits and telling us about hell. And it makes us nervous because we don't want God's justice directed at us, but we need a just God. And in fact, I think we want a just God. We just want a just God that meets our standards of justice. 
We want people who traffic other people to meet the justice of God. We want the people who hurt us to meet the justice of God. We just don't believe in the justice of God when it's aimed at us. That's when we get a little bit uncomfortable with it. But God is just, and His standards aren't our standards. Now let's talk about this part about punishing all these children. I mean, I've got some kids, and I'm kind of all for it at this point, God. Now here's what I think that means. I think there's two right ways to interpret this, and one wrong way, okay? Uh, So the wrong way is to believe that you are now being punished for your father's sins. I don't think that's what this passage means. I don't think that's what the language supports or what the surrounding text supports. In fact, in Deuteronomy 24, 16, which Moses also wrote, it says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. God is just judging each person for their own sin, not you for sins that somebody else committed. Where where this actually comes from is when in in, um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, God is laying out the Ten Commandments, and he's giving the commandment about worshiping idols. Don't worship idols. And he uses this same language. He said, don't bow to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Here's what it means, in short. It means if your father worshiped idols and he was punished for it, and you worship idols, you will also be punished for it. His punishment is not enough. It it means that if you pass your sins onto your children, they will also be guilty. See, here's the thing. Sin can be generational. Sin is one of those things that it's very easy for us to pass to our children. And I don't have to give you a lot of examples for you to know this is true. Maybe you've seen your parents' anger show up in your marriage. Maybe your father's alcoholism has shown its head in your life or in the lives of your siblings. We know that we pass our sin down from one generation to the next. And God is saying that just as your father is guilty, so will you be guilty of this. But the language is so important. Because here's what it says. It says, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In other words, love to thousands, punishment to the third and fourth. Love to thousands, punishment to the third and fourth. This is intentional. This is important. Love to the thousands, punishment to the third and the fourth. As in this one is never ending and this one has a stopping date. As in this one keeps on going forever, as in this one doesn't have to. This one will be met by God for all of eternity. This one will be satisfied by Jesus once and for all. Generational sin does not have to pass from you to your children. It can stop. You could be the third. You could be the fourth. It can stop with you, and it doesn't have to go to your kids because of the cross of Jesus. You see, even when God was speaking this to Moses about his character, he had a plan in place. 
He knew that one day the justice that he requires would be satisfied in the blood of Jesus. And that instead of us requiring all of the punishment on us, Jesus would say, I'm going to take the punishment on me. You get the love, I'll take the punishment. You get the love, I'll take the punishment. Because God is a compassionate and a gracious God, and he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love and faithfulness. This is who God is is. This is his character. This is what he needs you to know about himself. He is saying, Moses, tell everybody that you can, this is who I am. And this is who I am today. And this is who I will be tomorrow. And this is who I will be in every tomorrow that follows. You need to know when you approach God that he is so compassionate and so gracious and so just, but he is abounding in mercy. This is who God is. This is who he is always and forever. And his love goes on forever and ever and never meets an end, but punishment gets the end date. Um, and so, you know, there's an old hymn. So this is, this is God. This is how you should know. This is who you should know God is. He's always the same. He never changes. And there's an old hymn that I love that, that I think about every time I read this passage. And I love old hymns, and so excuse me, but it says, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. As in, there's not even a hint of change in your character. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. God is consistent and he is good. So how do we respond to that? In the same way that Moses did. In verse 8. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. He had wondered his whole life. He's like 100 years old when he has this moment with God. And he had wondered his whole life exactly who God is. And he'd been asking and he'd been wondering. And God says, Moses, this is who I am. I am always the same. I am always good. I am always compassionate. I am always merciful. And my love will carry on forever. And Moses falls to his face and gives God his worship. You know, worship changes things. Worship changes things. And the more you know who God is, I think the more you're compelled to worship him. And the more you worship him, I think the more you'll know who God is. I think for me, worship is so important because in the first worship song, I think a lot of times I'm thinking about me. I don't know about you, but when we start that first worship song, it's kind of like about, oh yeah, temperature's okay in here, feels pretty good, I could use a little more AC, you know, and then, and then I'm thinking, these pants are too tight, you know, and then, I'm thinking, and then I'm thinking, oh man, I hope everybody's having a good time, I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking like, man, I gotta, I gotta preach, I hope, that, I hope that I remember what I'm supposed to say, I'm thinking about that, and then about somewhere halfway through that first song, something happens, and my mindset shifts. And I came in here and I had all these problems and I had all these things going on and, and then I started to worship and all of a sudden God is just the only thing that matters. And he's there and he's in the beginning and he's in the forefront and I put my attention on him and I put my focus on him. And that's what we hope this 21 days of prayer is doing for you. And as you get into a place where you're learning to worship him more and more, just know who he is and know why he's worthy of your worship. So I think we just respond the way Moses did. I think we praise him for his consistency because we live in an inconsistent world and the people that we depend on are going to let us down and God will never, ever, ever let you down. He is always there for you. He is always the same. We praise him for his consistency. 
My, my daughter Eleanor is very inconsistent as a person at three years old. Uh, her favorite color is whatever color balloon you're holding. And so on Monday, I had this yellow stress ball of hers that I was carrying home to give to her at lunch. And I gave it to her at lunch, and, and she looked at it, and she goes, <gasps> Daddy, yellow is my favorite color. And was so happy, you know, I was like, nailed it. And then I go home, I mean, I go back to work, and, uh, and I'm working, and I find a balloon that's unused, a purple balloon. So I bring it home, and I get home, you know, and I see her, and I blow this balloon up, and it's purple. And she sees it, and she goes, <gasps> Daddy, purple is my favorite color. And this is how we all are. We're shifting and we're shaking and it makes it hard to see God as as good as he is, but he is always this good. He doesn't change. He is always the same and that is good. Second, we praise him for his mercy. We praise him for his mercy. Um, Jesus tells a, a parable to describe how merciful God is and to remind his followers to have the same level of mercy for others. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now the, the law said three times, and so Peter was sucking up at this point. He said, how many times, God? Seven times, does that sound pretty good? And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And this is a colloquialism. He means never stop. If you're in a bad relationship, don't start counting, okay? It's not, 77 is not the law. Jesus was just trying to say, never stop forgiving people. And then he said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, in the modern world, if you're wondering how much money that is, 10,000 bags of gold is equivalent to one bajillion dollars. And so it's more than he would ever see in his life, more than anybody listening had ever seen or heard of in their life. And it says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt because the master was just. And because when there is... Uh, when, when, there, when there is sin, there has to be punishment. And so this was the right punishment for the crime. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. There is no debt he will not forgive. It, it, there, there is no sin that he cannot wipe clean. There is no amount of brokenness in you that he cannot restore. There is no past that can't be renewed. Listen, if you feel like you're not worthy to be in the presence of God, do not worry, he will make you worthy. If you feel like you haven't gone to God, maybe you've been running from him and you've been away from him and you've been ashamed to come before him because you don't know how he will respond to him, it's only because you don't know his character yet. You see, God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and filled with mercy. And he will receive you in a way you are not prepared for. His mercy is good and it's always there for you no matter what. And so we praise him for the cross. We praise him for the cross. You know, Jesus uh, showed us the character of God 
uh, throughout the course of his life. In, in, in every aspect of his life, he showed us the character of God. He was so filled with compassion. There was, there was a time when he was trying to mourn because he found out that his cousin had been killed. And he was so sad and he, he, was, he was mourning. And, and so Jesus went to a quiet place just to, just to grieve. But then thousands of people showed up. But he's always compassionate because that's his nature. And it says Jesus had compassion on them. And he not only taught them and healed their sick, he fed them too. That's how the story of the feeding of the 5,000 begins. A miracle many of us know. You see, Jesus was always compassionate every moment of every day. He was always gracious. He was always kind. He was patient. He was slow to anger. He was abounding in love and faithfulness. And Jesus knew that there needed to be punishment for sin. He believed in justice. And so Jesus, filled with compassion and grace, went into the upper room, knowing that Judas was about to betray him, and he got down on his knees, and he washed his feet, as if to look him in the eyes and say, Judas, it's not over yet. There's grace for you now. You do this tonight, there'll be grace for you tomorrow if you want it. And then Jesus goes out into the garden and he's praying and he doesn't pray. He, he, he prays for himself because he's scared. But then he prays for us and he's sweating blood and he's sweating tears and he prays over his friends and he prays over you and me because he's always good and he's always filled with love. And then he goes to the cross and every punishment that you or I ever deserved because our sin deserved punishment, he takes it on himself. And he says, today is the third and the fourth. It ends right now. It stops today. If you don't want the punishment for your sins, just give them to me and you can have love and I will take punishment. You can have grace and I will take your penalty. You can have it, I will take it. And he goes to the cross and he comes out of the grave three days later just waiting to show compassion and grace to a thousand more generations. This is who God is and who he always will be. There is a story in Luke Jesus uses to demonstrate the nature of God. If, if all of this, you know, and knowing God's name still doesn't explain it to you and you just need to know who the Father is, you just need to open up your Bibles to Luke Chapter 14, 15, verse 11. It says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided up his property between them. This was insulting. This was saying to the father, You're basically dead to me. I don't need you anymore. Give me your money. Give me what's owed to me. And I'm going to go live my own life. Not long after that, this younger son got together all he had, set off for Las Vegas, and squandered his wealth with wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. And he was so hungry that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating, but wasn't allowed to eat that. And he was covered with filth, and he was covered with dirtiness, and he was filled with shame because of what he'd done. And he was broken and he felt, he felt like there was no place for him in this world anymore because of the decisions that he had made. And finally he says, you know what, even my father's servants eat better than this. I'm going to go to my dad. He rehearsed a speech 
And he said, I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to prepare a speech. I'm just going to ask him to hire me. He doesn't need to see me. He doesn't need to be happy to see me. I just am hungry and I want to eat. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll let me. And he comes up and he's walking and he comes over the horizon. And it says, the father saw him coming. And you know what I love about that part of the story? Is the father saw him coming because the father was waiting for him. Because he was looking for him. Because he every morning probably woke up and he looked out at that horizon and he said, one day my son's going to come over that horizon. One day I'm going to wait for him right here until I see him again because I've got it for him. Everything he ever wanted is right here and I'm just going to wait for him to come over that horizon. And the son comes over the horizon because he doesn't know the character of the father yet he's expecting wrath and he's expecting anger, and he's expecting bitterness. And the father drops his bathrobe and sprints across the field as fast as he can and wraps his arms around his son. And he says, my son, my son, my son is home. You, the son's practicing his speech. You know, he's like, I'm so sorry. And God's like, the father's like, I don't care about your speech. Kill the fattened calf. We're having a party tonight. My son is home. My son is home. That's who God is. That's who he was when Jesus told this story. That's who he was right now in this moment when you need him, when you made the worst decisions you have made or will make. This is who the father will be. He's not going to be waiting to judge you or cast you out or tell you you're not welcome. He's going to be standing there looking at the horizon saying, just come over that hill. Just come over that hill. I will make myself undignified just to get to you. That's who he is you got to know when you approach God who God is. You've got to know that in Him, you have the most perfect Father you could have ever dreamed of. And He's just waiting for you to worship Him. Just, 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 just How else are we supposed to respond other than how Moses responded on that day and fall down on our faces and worship Him? My heart for you over 21 days of prayer is that you would begin to know your Father. That, that you would feel received by Him loved by him, wanted by him, because I promise you, you are those things. His name is Yahweh. Who he is, he will be. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Give yourself to him. Don't keep running. Don't, don't keep feeling like you don't know him. Turn it over. Let him, let him have it. Whatever it is, he'll put it on the cross for you so you get the love. He's waiting for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, for your nature, God. I thank you for loving me in a way that I can't even understand, God. I think when you said that your ways are higher than my ways, Father, you meant that you love in a way that I'll never be able to understand. I think you meant when you said that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, you meant that you give grace in a way that I will never understand. And God, we just thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for the cross, God. And we thank you for the way that you're always waiting for us. That you love us. That not only are you waiting to receive us, but God, you have a purpose for us. That you've got meaning for us and significance for us, God. That you've got joy for us, Father. And that in heaven, you are preparing a place for us, God. And Lord, we just want to be in your presence. And we want to worship you. And we want to lift your name up. And we want you to be famous. And we want you to be more and more. And us to be less and less. We love you, God. We praise your name. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up with me this morning? For somebody in this room, today is your day to stop running. And to turn around and to crest that hill. It's the day. 
you got to know that this is who God is. It's who, he is. it's who he is in this moment. It's who he was in that moment. It's who he will be every moment for the rest of your life. And then when you give yourself to him, life doesn't just, just become peaches and roses. It's just not, it's not cakes and oranges all the time. It's not going to be easy every moment. But the difference is, in the hard seasons, you'll have hope. And the difference is that in the suffering, you'll still have significance. And the difference is that when you, when you feel like your world is falling apart, you will still be whole. And you can have that in your relationship with God today. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't started that relationship, it begins like every other relationship with a decision and a conversation. And so let's have that moment right now. If, if this is you, if, if you've been waiting to find out who he is, let us, let's have that conversation together right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I give myself to you. I submit myself to you, God. Receive me as your child. Forgive me for all my mistakes, all my sins. God, I turn them over to you. I thank you for the cross that I could be made whole again. I thank you for, for defeating death and the resurrection that I could have life again. I just want you to, I want your spirit to live in me. I want to know who you are and I want to get to know you more and more every day. This is my commitment to you. Take all that I am. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.